Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. and read a few verses a few verses of scripture here and uh, we'll probably read a few more uh, later here in the evening John 7 verse number 14 the Bible says and I'll read down to verse number 18 to get us started now about the midst of the feast Jesus went up into the temple and taught and the Jews marveled saying how knoweth this man letters having never learned Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Amen. Tonight we're going to talk about the correlation of practice and principle. I use the word principle, but I kind of just keeping the P's there. We could say the correlation of practice and doctrine, but I just use principle for you know, alliteration, I guess. Peace. Amen. The correlation of practice and principle. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, we love you here this evening. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for these group of people that have come out on this Wednesday night. I pray, oh Lord, that you're able to help us in the next little while as we, Lord, once again go into the book, Lord, of the Gospel of John. Lord Jesus, help it, Lord, to orientate our intention toward this. God, for the next little while, God, and give us, the Lord, strength, Lord, and understanding. I pray, oh God, from your word, this holy word, God, this book that is good for living in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Please remember, uh, church family, that there is year in business meeting here tomorrow night at 7. It should not take uh, very long really at all because it's just mostly financials and no attendance side this year. Uh, that's been shot up through the roof uh, with, with COVID and such. And uh, so it shouldn't take real long uh, tomorrow night starting at 7. Good to see Bob and Roxana and Dixie back there tonight. I don't know if you've seen me in those mornings. I've, ever since I talked to you, Roxanne, I've been looking toward the window, just seeing if I see anybody in the window in the mornings when I run. To see if I see anybody. I even look in the lower level to see if there's Dixie Doo down there, but uh, I don't see anybody. No one hollers, just dogs bark at me. And uh, I've had a few chase me here lately on runs. That's been fun. Uh, but nonetheless, amen. The correlation of practice and principle. So, again, uh, you know, last week we were, I kind of just pulled all kinds of verses together talking about timing. And so I believe it bears just a little bit uh, recalling our minds what's going on in here in John or John 7 in particular. Just to spawn your attention once again what the background of John 7 is. Is all the events or the miracle that took place in Jerusalem in John chapter number 5. And because of that miracle... Uh, done on the Sabbath day and because uh, Jesus spoke of God as his father uh, the Jews are kind of upset number one the miracle took place on the Sabbath day number two they thought Jesus was proclaiming to be equal with God he wasn't claiming it he was it 
but nonetheless, uh, as a result of all that happening, uh, Jesus is somewhat cautious here in John chapter number 7 as he enters Jerusalem again. Uh, because between John 5 and now, Jesus has been staying predominantly, predominantly in the areas of Galilee, but now he's going back to Jerusalem. Uh, the place that the last time he was there, they wanted to kill him. And so he was pretty certain that their ideas about killing him had not changed. So he's cautious about going up to the Feast of Tabernacles. And so as he goes up and uh, he actually engages in the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, he doesn't go when his brothers urge him, but he goes shortly thereafter. And he goes not up uh, openly among the people he goes somewhat secretly among the people but verse number 14 tells us then somewhere in the midst of the feast or in the middle of the feast of tabernacles Jesus kind of takes center stage right in the middle of the, the, the feast at the temple and he begins to teach now our minds start to say well for someone that kind of goes up to the festival secretly and now he's standing in the middle of the temple teaching uh, that isn't very secretive true it's not but the timing was right right the timing was right and so he's in the 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 temple and he's teaching because this wasn't necessarily Jesus the flesh idea this was God the spirit's idea right I got a purpose for you in doing this and so whereas his brothers had encouraged him go to the feast of tabernacles and do one of those you know miracle wonder type things and and you'll have a big drawing of people that will come to you you'll get the attention of the people but again Jesus didn't want personally his flesh to have the attention of the people he wanted all the glory all the attention to go unto God so when he shows up at Jerusalem this time, he's not going to start by doing a work or some wonder or miracle or sign. Instead, he begins to teach doctrine unto the people. He begins to teach doctrine. And this seems to be like a very valid approach for Jesus to come down to Jerusalem and teach doctrine. Because if you're wanting God to get the attention, if you're wanting him to get the glory, then there is no more of a direct introduction to God than teaching truth, than teaching the doctrine. We understand according to the word of the Lord that Jesus was God, yes, manifest in the flesh. He was, as we you know, studied earlier in this Gospel of John, he was that word that was made flesh. And so being apostolics and being hopefully any church going people but when and if your doctrine is based upon the word which it should be then the teaching and the preaching of that doctrine or that word is a direct introduction to God being that God in the beginning the word was with him the word was him so you can't I, I know it kind of goes against everything that modern church even society says uh, you know, we got to have this in order to bring someone to church, this in order to introduce them to dog. That, in reality, Brother Terry, according to my Bible, the Word is their greatest introduction to God. The Word is their greatest introduction to God. And I'm not against other measures. We use other measures to get people acquainted with God. But there is not a more direct way than the Word. That's the reason why we preach and teach the Word. Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, we propagate the Word because we're trying to get people introduced to the God, amen, that that Word is. And so we, we, can't, we can't order our lives 
Uh, for instance, as a church, just stand up here and just tell you a bunch of personal stories, how I was fishing and da-da-da. You just can't do that because I'm not going to get people introduced to God by that measure. I got to use the Word of God. I can't necessarily lure them in with a gimmick. Ultimately, they need the Word of God because if they're... Here's the thing that's always been a, a totter ingrained in my spirit. The thing that you attract them with is the thing that they're going to lean on. The thing that the bait that you pull them with is the thing that's going to set their appetite up. And so if they were drawn by a gimmick, then it's going to take a gimmick to keep them in. But if you draw them by the word, then the word will be the very thing that their appetite their desire in such is for. And so, as a preacher, all of us, we need to be word pushers. You, you, you know, there's drug pushers. Well, you need to be a word pusher. You need to be a word pusher because uh, there's a lot of great confidence I have through the word of the Lord. The Bible says that we are sanctified and cleansed by the washing of water of the word. That's the word. That's the work of the word. That our faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The Word. That's the work of the Word. The Bible speaks to us also that He begot us. In the book of James, it says that He begot us with the Word of truth. So why are you a Word pusher? i tell you why. Because my sanctification and my cleansing comes from it. My faith is built by it. I'm even begotten and saved by the Word. And so yes, I'm going to be a Word pusher. Amen. The Bible even says in Isaiah 55 and verse number 10, the Old Testament prophet and these are scriptures that are uh, familiar to you. Verse number 11, perhaps more than verse number 10. But it says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. And so he says, this, this is what we need. It, the word will do the work. The word is sufficient. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem this time, not with a wonder, not with a sign, not with a miracle, but he comes propagating the word. He's wanting to get glory to God, get people to recognize God. No better way then than sharing the word of the Lord with them. The brothers, quite differently, wanted him to do the work to get the attention of people. Jesus, though, was going to teach doctrine in order to turn people's attention to God. Right? All right. So we need people uh, in the church, even in society today, we need people to fall in love with the word more than to be amazed by some work. If you were to call right now, oh, we're, going to have a, we're going to have a healing crusade. Son, they would come out of the cracks and crannies. Especially if you bring someone in here that God uses in that type of... They would come out of the crowd. I'm telling you, they crawl. They, they, you won't be able to hold this, the people that come here. But if you're just having a regular old revival, just preaching the word. <laughs> There's been a lot of people that got their healing they don't walk with God. They had their work. But they have no planting or, or anchoring in no word. Amen. And we need them to fall in love with the word more than just be amazed at some work. Paul even admonished Timothy, his protege in the gospel in the book of Timothy. What did he tell Timothy? He said, preach the word. He told Timothy, he said, there's going to come a day, young Timothy. He said, the people are going to be tempted to turn to fables. They're going to be tempted to turn to fables. He said, therefore, it's important for you to preach the word. 
He said, reprove, rebuke. He says, exhort with what? With all long-suffering and doctrine. Exhort with doctrine, reprove with doctrine, right? Rebuke with doctrine. He says, preach the word unto them. Because the day's coming, fable's going to come, they're going to turn to it. How could we somehow curve them turning to a fable if they know what is true? Right? If they know what is true. And so uh, the blessed thing about doctrine or the blessed thing about the word is this. It's not just used to rebuke, but it's also used to exhort. The same doctrine, the same word is used to encourage, but it's also used to discipline. And we need a balance of both. And we find both of those in the word. It's not like I've got to go a la carte. It's just the word that I can get. And it's both an encouragement to me and it's discipline to me. And so back in John chapter number 5, whenever Jesus did the miracle and uh, he gave his, his, his thing about God being his father and he was under investigation at that moment that those things took place, they were investigating Jesus' character, right? What type of man is this, you know? Uh, healing on the Sabbath day. They were investigating his character. They complained about the healing. They, they were in disbelief that God was his father, quote-unquote. They, they didn't accept him being equal with God. So they mused a little bit about his character, but now, now that he's here at Jerusalem again, they're starting to contemplate his doctrine. And here's the thing. These two things, character and doctrine, go hand in hand. Because doctrine should affect our character. Mm -hmm. Doctrine should, the word should influence behavior. And I purposely use the word should. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse 16, as Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, take heed unto thyself, Timothy, and, take, to, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This is amazing because a few verses prior to this one, uh, Timothy is told by Paul, he says, don't, don't neglect the gift that is within you. And here, Timothy is told to be mindful of both himself and his doctrine. Could it be tonight? that the Apostle Paul was alluding to Timothy to the fact that the doctrine that he gives attention to, which you can read of in verse 13, that the doctrine that he gives attention to uh, or that he has done, that he's lived out, has an impact on him and may even have an impact upon the gift that he has received. What are you saying? That doctrine affects behavior. That doctrine has an influence on the way that a person lives their life. Here is the thing. If a person's behavior or a person's character is in question, then you must consider something about their doctrine. If their character is in question, you need to go a little further back and investigate their doctrine because there could be a divide there could be a gap there could be a chasm because a person may know here it is a person may know doctrine and not practice doctrine a person can know the word and not practice the word they can quote scriptures to you maybe better than you can to them but they don't live any of it that they quote 
See, doctrine for Jesus was more than just some type of an intelligent ascent, you know, some type of intelligent knowledge of the mind that someone would grasp and be able to quote, you know, and, and uh, you know, chapters upon chapters of what the Word said or what the Torah said or whatever. It was more than just intelligence to Jesus. It was becoming a practice of the human will, submitting our human will, amen, to the will of the Spirit, our human will to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because whenever we look in verse number 17 of John chapter number 7 Jesus assured them he said if a man would do God's will he said he would obtain a, a, a knowledge that comes by experience if he would do the will of God he would have a knowledge that comes by experience he would know the doctrine because he's experienced the doctrine lived out in his life he said and that's different than just having a head knowledge of it you know, you can sit down with someone all day that believes that whenever you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you're going to speak in other tongues. They can maybe give you all the scriptures about it. But if they've never been or experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, all they got is head knowledge. But you can sit down and talk to me. I can talk to you about the head knowledge, but I can also talk to you about my experience at eight years old. When he filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I can even start talking to you about other experiences I've been a part of with other people that's received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. See, it takes something from quote-unquote theory to reality. Amen. And so Jesus, Jesus is speaking to them. He said, if you'll do the will of God, he said, you'll have a knowledge that is backed by experience. Amen. This won't be theory. This won't be something that's just read or told you. You'll have a knowledge that is backed by experience. And therefore, there won't be this gap between your character and your doctrine. There will be a unity, if you will, between both principle and practice. There will be a correlation. There will not be a disconnect. it, It makes me afraid as a pastor today of the many disconnects there are between principle and practice. People know, they know, no, 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 no. They've been taught, 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 taught. But the practice is... Amen. As a matter of fact, in in previous lessons, we even evaluated the fact, and you may remember this, I don't know, but we evaluated the fact that whenever we learn and we understand, we learn and understand a lot of times by doing. I don't know if anybody remembers that. I was talking about even as kids, we start using speech before we even know what we're saying. We don't have all the knowledge about speech. Anybody remember that? I started talking about that. But we start saying things, but we begin to learn. Our learning and understanding grows by process of doing. You remember that? And so when we talked about that, what I'm trying to say tonight is this. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap, but experience is priceless. There's a good reason why a doctor that goes through all his years of school and book learning after that goes to a hospital for a residency before he ever opens his own practice because he's taken his head knowledge of years and now taken to knowledge of experience in residency before he opens up his practice. Amen. That makes tremendous good sense. Because the validity, here it is, the validity of our knowledge, or in our case, our doctrine for that matter, is proven in the practice. It's proven in the living it out. It's one thing to say, well, God can heal, but we have some that's been healed in here. 
Huh? It's one thing to say, whatever, whatever the case may be concerning the Lord, or, or there's power in the name of Jesus, and have used that name in praying for people and casting out a devil. Yes, that, that, that brings it all just together. There's a correlation then between our doctrine or our principle and our practice. And Jesus was telling them this. He says, if you will do God's will, if you'll do God's will, you'll have an experience concerning the knowledge that I have conveyed to you. And you will know in that moment whether what I have been teaching is of God or not. You'll know whether it's of God or not. You'll know the truth by the doctrine being practiced and experienced in your own life. Living the doctrine, you'll know the truth of the matter as you live it out in your own life. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, back in 1 Timothy 4, he told Timothy, he said, Timothy, you're to be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. That's verse number 12. He goes on in verse number 13, he says, now as a result of these things, also give attendance to reading and exhortation and doctrine. Give, give attention to that. Amen. In other words, he meant, and this is the direct, the, the direct meaning of the word give attendance to it in the Greek. He meant apply yourself. That's what it directly means. Apply yourself to reading. Apply yourself to exhortation. Apply yourself to doctrine. Brother Terry, that's more than knowledge. That's a doing. He says apply yourself to doctrine. And then he says in verse 14, don't neglect your gift. Then... We come to verse 15, and they're going to have it on the screen magically. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 15. He says, meditate upon these things. What things? Well, that reading, that exhortation, that doctrine, these things that have listed. Meditate upon these things and give thyself holy. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y. That means all of yourself. Give yourself holy to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. What? That they can see there's a correlation between your doctrine, your, your principle, and in your practice. Can I say that if they see that there is a profiting that appears to all, they can also see when there's a disconnect between your principle and your doctrine. Well, they, that's all they ever talk about, such and such and such in the Bible. I've never seen them do that. Well, glory. So among all those things he was to meditate upon was doctrine. He was to give himself wholly unto it. And he would benefit personally. Yes, according to the word. But it would also appear unto all. Amen. The correlation between his principle and his doctrine. Now, Jesus is teaching the doctrine astounded the people. We read in the different gospel accounts, and you see it in several different places. It just the way the presentation of Jesus' teaching just was different. Over and over again, we read that the people were astonished at his doctrine. You see that on more than one occasion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The people were astonished at his doctrine. And this is the reason why they said so. Because he taught as one that had authority astounded at it they had a lot of rabbis a lot of teachers during this time they've heard a lot of voices they said that guy right there stands out because he teaches as one that has authority now it was common and custom practice for these other rabbis and teachers 
they thought that it kind of qualified what they said that whenever they were teaching, they would reference several different rabbis and different generations that were before them. People maybe that they even had learned under. So the more that they could quote them, the more that they could reference them, they believed that they brought, they were qualifying then the message. They were qualifying the material. They were qualifying the doctrine that they were relaying as long as they leaned back upon them. And so the more rabbis that they could quote from generations before, they thought, you know what, then we're making it would seem that our doctrine is more stable because we have all these references of these other people that was before us. However, whenever Jesus comes to them and he teaches doctrine, he tells them, this doctrine is is not my own. It's really the doctrine of the one who has sent me, right? That's what he says here in the scripture. And he tells them even in other places that my words are not mine and my words are the words of the Father, right? I don't say anything unless he bids me to say such and such. And then though there are these other times we see in the Gospels that Jesus is teaching and he's, he's conveying doctrine and he's saying it like this. Such and such says this, but I say unto you, you see this in the scripture. They say so and forth and so forth. But I say unto you, hold on. Because whenever Jesus is doing that, Sister Grace, he's not referencing another rabbi. He's not referencing this big scope of generations of people that's went before him. He is saying it from himself. And they're like, hold on, he's different from other people. He speaks as though he has authority. All these other guys are using somebody else's name, somebody else's authority. Said, but whenever Jesus speaks, whenever he's teaching doctrine, he's not using another man's words. He's not quoting some other rabbi. He's the one saying it. He stands there on his own authority. He's saying, I say unto you. And so the Jews are really, they're just blown out of the water. They are puzzled at Jesus' words. They're puzzled, for one, about his knowledge of the Scriptures because they knew he did not go to the same schools they went to. I mean, they went to the best school set under the best rabbis, and they know he hadn't done that. How does this man know letters? You know, not being taught. So they are just totally wowed. But see, what they haven't yet grasped a hold of yet is this, concerning the Torah and the teaching of the doctrines of the first five books of the Bible and all of that. What they haven't grabbed a hold of was this. Jesus was the Word. Jesus was the Word that was made flesh. How does he know letters? And he's never been taught. Well, the thing that you're teaching about, he is. He's the word personified. He's the word that was made flesh. Amen. So when he spoke, amen, he was speaking of himself. Not his humanity, but his divinity, right? Amen. That, that, that God that was made flesh, he's speaking about himself. Yeah, he's an authority on it. You know, it'd be like an author of a book coming in talking about their book. Say, like, you know what? That guy sounds like he might know what he's talking about. Well, he's the author. You know what I'm saying? This, this Jesus, this is the word made flesh. Yes, he's speaking with authority. And yes, he doesn't have to lean on anybody else's ideas or concepts about it. He is the word. So he's unlike any other. He's not going to quote from anybody else. He's quoting of himself. When he comes to speaking doctrine. Now look. Let's commence here and go forward a little bit more. Maybe. With verse number 18. Jesus goes on and begins speaking still. He says, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him. All right. For them, he's referencing their other rabbis and stuff that they've learned under. For himself, 
he's speaking about coming as God manifested in the flesh, right? The same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Look now, I love it. Jesus plays some charades here in just a little bit. He's, oh, he's a master of how just to set people up and take them. He says, did not Moses, watch him now, did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you about to kill me? We'll look at this in a bit. The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. That's their polite way of saying, You're crazy. Who goeth about to kill thee? Verse number 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work. He's referring back to what happened in John 5, the healing of the, the lame man or the paralytic of 38-year infirmity. He says, And ye all marvel. Verse 22. He says, Moses, therefore... Gave unto you circumcision, not because it was of Moses, but of the fathers. It goes all the way back to the patriarchs. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. Now notice, he's telling them, this is something that you do on the Sabbath day. You've pointed fingers at me for something I did on the Sabbath day. He's so good. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken... Are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. I want to read verse number 18 to you again in the Message Bible. I like how it kind of puts the words together here. It says, a person making things up tries to make himself look good. But someone trying to honor the one who sent him sticks to the facts and doesn't tamper with reality. I believe what's being conveyed here in the starting of this next section in verse number 18 is that whoever seeks the glory of their teacher will speak of their teacher and their information and what they have to say is very sound. In other words, that individual doesn't have an ulterior motive. They don't have an impure motive. They're, they're being respectful of the one whom they are subjected to. And so Jesus right here, I love you, Jesus. He is setting his audience up so good. He is setting them up in a trap for the purpose of proving a point. He is on a mission, really. He's on a mission to reveal the loopholes that are in their reasoning, all right? Their reasoning against him predominantly on having healed on the Sabbath day. He's a master of this sort of thing. He really is. We can learn a lot from him. He's a master of this sort of thing. And so he just sets the hook, all right? Jesus brings up the idea of Moses in verse number 19. Because among the Jews, Moses is very revered. Moses is a teacher. As a matter of fact, on multiple occasions, even leading up to John chapter number 7, the Jews have brought up this concept and idea of Moses, right? Uh, in, 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 among the Jews, it's, it's Moshe Rabbeinu, which means Moses, our teacher. They revered him as the rabbi. They revered him as a teacher. So if Moses was their teacher, see, he's setting them up. If Moses was their teacher, then shouldn't they ought to teach the doctrine and principles of Moses and obey, practice the doctrines and the principles of Moses? For that matter, listen, for that matter, they shouldn't even have any trouble or problems with Jesus. All right? Because if you remember some of the last words of Jesus to the Jews of Judea, 
in his last visit to Jerusalem, back in John 5, I'll share them with you because I know you forgot them. This is what he said to them in John 5 and verse 45. He says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, who, your rabbi, your teacher, the one that you revere and respect, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, Jesus said, ye would have believed me. For he wrote of me. He taught about me. I was a part of his doctrine. Amen. He goes on verse 47. But if you believe not his writings, he says, how shall you believe my words? So he's, he's really set them up here. Oh, the rabbi Moses. And so when we get to verse number 18 of chapter number 7, Jesus is asking questions again that he knows the answers to. And so what they really are then, since he knows the answer, they're really statements, all right, that's going on in the minds of the Jews. Did Moses give you the law? He says he knows that he did. Did Moses give you the law? Did Moses give you the doctrine? The Jews are answering their head, yeah, Moses gave us the doctrine. He gave us the law. He says, but you don't keep the law. There's a disconnect between principle and practice. But you don't keep the law. And they're probably thinking, how dare you say we don't keep the law? How in the world? They're probably offended at this. <laughs> Everybody all right? Probably offended at this. But remember, doctrine is best proved not in head knowledge, but in practice. He said, you're, 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 not pra you're not practicing what you preach. You're not practicing what you teach. You say Moses is your rabbi, he is your teacher. He's taught you some things, but you're not practicing. How dare you say that? And then he whams him with this question. He says, well, why do you want to kill me? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Who's your teacher? Moses. Moses is our rabbi, our teacher. Who brought down those Ten Commandments from the Mount of God? Moses did. Who told you about all that? Moses did. What was included in all those commandments? Thou shalt not kill. Why are you seeking to... Major disconnect between doctrine and practice. Oh, he's so good. He's just tying them up. You're not, you're not, you're not practicing what, what you're preaching. Because Moses has brought this down from the Mount of God. You should not kill, and yet you guys are going about. The moment I've entered into this, this feast, and they've been looking about how they might be able to kill me. Oops. We got a practice stripped away from principle right here. Let's go a little further. Jesus could go on and say, you all can quote Moses. Whew. They could too. They could all day long tell you what. I mean, just have a woman caught in the act of adultery and you say, well, Moses in the law says she should be said, you guys can quote Moses. You guys can reiterate all the teachings of Moses. But all of that, this is, this is just Paul McGee, all right? Jesus didn't say this, but I think he would if he was here. He said, oh, that's a bunch of hogwash if you're not practicing the doctrine of Moses. Mm, someone say amen. And they thought Jesus was crazy. And they thought, you know, he's crazy. No, one, no one's trying to kill him. 
Now, let's give them just a little leadway here because this is a Feast of Tabernacles. There's a lot of Jews coming into Jerusalem that do not live in Jerusalem, okay? And so it were, was the Jews in Jerusalem that had this mindset about killing Jesus, so it could be quite possible. There were Jews that did not leave, live in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, that came because of the Feast of Tabernacles that wasn't, you know, in knowledge about someone trying to be out, you know, to kill Jesus Christ, not aware of some of the plots and the plans that were going on in the city of Jerusalem. And so they ask him, who is trying to kill you? Again, classic Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus was asked a bunch of questions in scriptures, but barely, hardly ever answered any of them. Many times, he asked them a question with their question. I like him. I'm going to start practicing that. People want to ask me a question, I'm just going to ask them a question. I think it's great. Hardly ever. I'm telling you, you read your Bible, hardly ever does he answer a question. He asks a question. Many times he does that because he wants them to come to the moment of understanding on their own. That moment of aha. All right? But nonetheless, so they ask, who are you trying to kill? He ignores it, and he goes on a little bit further. Again, hitting the nail of this discrepancy between principle and practice. So Jesus healed a man, trying to keep track of time here. Jesus healed a man with a 38-year-old infirmity in John 5. Again, they're blown away by it, but they're also offended by it because it's done on the Sabbath. So here is what our dear Jesus wants them to consider. I heal a man on the Sabbath, all right, but you circumcise on the Sabbath, because circumcision would take place on the eighth day. If the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, guess what? They circumcised. He said, you circumcise on the Sabbath. He said, both of these, according to y'all's traditions and, and estimation, would be deemed as work, which is unlawful on the Sabbath. And yet, you say, I broke the law, right? As though you have been without fault. Watch Jesus. So the Jews, they circumcise again on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, which is a law of God. It's a law of the way back to creation, right? To avoid, to avoid breaking the law of Moses, they circumcised on the Sabbath day. And again, the law of Moses, circumcision just wasn't a part of Moses' law. Circumcision went back even to the patriarchs. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Started in that time. So watch it here. So not have they just broken this, doing circumcision on the Sabbath day once. But they've been doing this type of stuff ever since Abraham's day. So they look at this isolate thing of Jesus, and then they're looking at, he's looking at all these times of circumcising on the Sabbath throughout time. All right? Now listen very carefully. Circumcision concerned, and I don't have to get graphic here, okay? Circumcision concerned one part of the body being dealt with. According to the Jews, they believed on that, that particular day of circumcision, that eighth day, they believe that they are very strong on this, this evil and good that's within the body of man, all right? They believed on that eighth day, most of the evil of a man was concentrated in that point of a male child, and they would cut that, that flesh on that eighth day, and they were removing essentially impurity and evil from the body of an individual. Not only that, it brought, according to the Lord, a person into covenant, Old Testament, into covenant with God. They were dealing with one part of the body, Seem to be doing a very profitable good measure for the individual, one, one part of the body. But Jesus on the Sabbath, according to verse number 23, touches a man and made a man, the Bible says, every whit whole. 
We're not talking about just a part of the body. Every wit. Oh, all right. And so circumcision, again, it's, it's that separating of what was considered impure. But Jesus had just made a man that had a 38-year-old infirmity made whole. Not only that, according to some other Jewish writings and Talmud, and I've preached Talmud, I've, I've taught along these things and preached really uh, messages uh, with these as the grounds of other things before, that there were some practices that took precedence, according to the Jewish writings, over Sabbath, such as killing the Passover lamb. You could kill the Passover lamb on the Sabbath if it fell on the Sabbath. The waving of palm branches at the Feast of Tabernacles, they could do that on the Sabbath if it landed on the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, according to the Jews, they believed that circumcision on the Sabbath was not counted as an infringement upon the law of the Sabbath, all right? Because the Sabbath made some allowances uh, for particular works, mainly this. The allowances that could be made on the Sabbath was this, things that needed to be done out of necessity or things that needed to be done out of mercy. Those were the two classifications. So circumcision on the eighth day was a necessity. It was a necessity. It was necessary for it to be done. It was necessary then for that child. According to the Hebrews, they all bore that mark upon their bodies of being circumcised. It designated them as in covenant with God. You know, that's how uh, Pharaoh's daughter, when she went down to the river to wash and she seen Moses and she, she discovered him in the bulrushes and she said, behold, this is a Hebrew child. It wasn't just skin tone and all that that she discovered. She, she discovered circumcision on that boy. All right? And so she knew. And so this is something that's in covenant with God. And so, yes, it was necessary to get in that covenant of relationship. However, healing a lame man or a paralytic man, that's an act of mercy. That's an act of mercy. And Jesus healed this man again once, but ever since the patriarchs, they've been circumcising children on the eighth day, even if it fell on the Sabbath day. This is what Jesus was urging these people. Doctrine, practice. Jesus was urging these Jews, hey, you're not to have any respect of persons in your judgment, right? That's what we're taught in Scripture. He has no respecter of persons. The law of the Sabbath was important, absolutely. But they were angled so much on the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. They saw the healing as work, perhaps, in some modes it was, but it was no less an act of necessity and mercy than them circumcising a child on the eighth day. What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying the spirit of the law always and primarily is this. It's love. The spirit of the law is love. So the Sabbath law... All the law should really be cultivating the overall law, the law of love. It was to love that child, and there was a love relationship when it was circumcised on the eighth day. And as a result of that, the Old Testament brought into covenant relationship with God. All right? But it was also love that drove Christ to heal a man that was lame and a paralytic because, listen to me very carefully, because that also put him in relationship with God. How? Because a man that was lame in his feet, he could not go to the feast or the festivals. A man could not go into the temple in that condition. 
Could not. That's the reason why the, the man that sat at the gate beautiful, whenever they brought him, they sat him there rather than inside the temple because he was lame in both of his feet. Their law was unless the person could make the pilgrimage by themselves, were able to go by themselves, they weren't allowed into the temple or the tabernacle. <laughs> but whenever Jesus touched this man that had been lame for 38 years, who formerly could not have went in, who formerly who could not participated, Amen. Out of love, he healed something right there so that man could have relationship in feasts and festivals and enter into, if you will, the, the temple of God and the presence of God. Amen. And so, yes, Jesus really is still doing this correlation between practice and principle because the practice and the principle of the Sabbath, the overarching concept, yes, you'll cease from work, but what are we doing that for? For our purpose of worship, right? That's Sabbath. It's remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You know what makes it holy? You being in relationship with Him. Having at least one out of seven. Huh? Having, having a fraction of time of your life that you find relationship with Him. What were the Jews doing with their circumcision? Ensuring that little boy is in covenant with God. What was Christ doing whenever he healed that paralytic man? Ensuring that now he could attend every festival and feast and go into the temple and have relationship with God. It was acts of both necessity and mercy. He was keeping, if you will, the Sabbath law, the overarching thing of love. There was a correlation between his principle and practice. Amen. The Bible says in Galatians, I love this verse, Galatians 5 and verse 14, it says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Everybody say one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Is anybody taken back by that for a moment? He says all the law is fulfilled in one word. Yet we have a phrase. What do you think the word in the phrase is? Love. All of the law is fulfilled by love. Amen. But for them, notice what's happened. Jesus is really digging deep here in reality. For the Jews, for the Hebrews, in many regards though, their generations of having done circumcision on the eighth day and even when it fell on the Sabbath day, generations doing that, their sign of circumcision was not what it had been to them in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament covenant with God, about God. But their sign of circumcision now has become more about them. Privileged people. Hebrew. Mm -hmm. What are you saying? They now concentrate more about them in that circumcision than they do about God in that circumcision. Days were coming even very soon, not long after these Gospels, that... The Bible says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision would mean anything. Yeah. It was the Old Testament covenant, put person in covenant with God. The Bible speaks that baptism is now our circumcision. It's a circumcision that takes place without hands. There's still the removing of the impure Whew. through the watery grave of baptism. So, but this literal physical circumcision, it really doesn't mean anything anymore. You even read in the book, Acts chapter number 15, there's the big dispute. They all come before uh, the temple leaders and they argue back and forth about, oh, you should be circumcised. You should be back and forth. And finally, you know, Paul stands up and says, hey, you know, the Gentiles received the exact same Holy Ghost that you all did and they're not circumcised. 
So eventually, it's going to be nothing. And they've only almost made it nothing because they've made it more about them. You can read 1 Corinthians 7, 19. It speaks about both. It speaks that circumcision and uncircumcision, both are nothing. He says, but keep the commandments of God. He says Galatians 6 and 15. He said both, circumcision and uncircumcision, avail nothing, be a new creature. He says in Galatians 5 and 6, both circumcision and uncircumcision, avail nothing, but faith worketh by love. Go home tonight and consider Romans 2, verses 25 through 29. Read it back and forth between circumcision and uncircumcision and see what the final result of the matter is even in those, those verses of Scripture. The principle, what we've been looking at here tonight, the principle should influence the practice. Not because of the letter of the law itself. Okay? Not because of the letter of the law itself. Uh, a man should not wear that which pertaineth to a woman, a woman that pertaineth to a man. The letter in itself is just practicing because of the letter itself. Shouldn't do it because of the letter itself, but because of the spirit of the law. Which is what? Love relationship. Jesus saying, if you'll do his will, and the doctor and I think, I'm doing all this because I'm seeking his glory. It's not me doing this because I want the pin on my lapel. Because if so, I've take, been no different than the Old Testament Jews that take something that was meant for covenant relationship and made it all about me. Well, the overarching thing is love. Love. And so not according to the letter of the law, but according to the spirit of the law. Because of a love relationship with God. I'm doing this because I'm seeking to Give him glory. Shh. According to Jesus, it wasn't, again, his doctrine, right? He says it's the doctrine of him that sent me. It's God's doctrine. It's the one that had sent me. And he says, if you'll seek God's glory, you'll keep the doctrine. You'll keep the doctrine. Why? Because that doctrine is him. It stems, stems from him. And you say you love him. You'll practice doctrine when you're in love with doctrine. You'll practice doctrine when you're in love with Him. Because then it's not a letter of the law. It's the Spirit. There is correlation between principle and practice. And He's the missing link many times in between the two. There's a gap sometimes because we do the letter and we miss the link of God, that love relationship that keeps us and places us in covenant. I do it because that's what they say, that's what they teach, that's what they preach. You're missing it. I do it because that's what they expect. Missing it. No, 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 no. There needs to be love. Predominantly, your love with him. Not your love with the church. Not your love with the pastor of the church. I know you love me, but not your love with the pastor of the church. Your love with him. And when that happens, we'll take the doctrine and we won't just have head knowledge. We'll practice it because we love him. That covenant, that relationship. I know that was maybe some deep waters here a little bit tonight. But... We're back in John.
Stand with me here this evening. It won't all be like that. But isn't Jesus so masterful about setting them up and just, you know, I love it. I love it. I just sat on the sidelines. I'm like, he's going to get him. He's going to get him. And he does. He does, and he makes his point clear. Amen. We'll continue in John next week. Again, um, meeting here, end of year, meeting at 7, this coming Sunday, 5th Sunday, a.m. service. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.